Hey y'all, this is Gretchen from Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts, but make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Joe Finkelstein is the audio-video film pathway instructor at the W.S. Hutchings College and Career Academy in the Bibb County Public School District, located in Macon, Georgia. Lots to learn today. We're going to have a lot of fun talking, and he's got some incredible stories from his background. And one of the cool things is, did you know that he was a stand-up comic? <laughs> Very cool stuff. And we're going to talk all kinds of audiovisual stuff and all the neat stuff about teaching. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. <laughs> You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Okay, today I'm talking with Joe Finkelstein. Yes. I said it right. You said it right. Awesome, man. And uh, here's a little background on him, all right? He grew up in central New Jersey. He ran on the track team as a distance runner. The pinnacle of his running career came in December of his senior year in high school when he ran the Jersey Shore Marathon. And according to him, it's been pretty much downhill since then. Nice. <laughs> and you're going to have to explain that one, all right? The, uh, and he wanted to leave New Jersey to go to college and ended up at the University of Georgia, majoring in journalism, broadcast emphasis. And uh, in, in his senior year, he started dating Ellen, who he met at a party the night of Michael Jackson's world premiere of his thriller video on MTV, December 1983. I love that. It's got this cool thing to remember that goes with it. The, uh, he's married almost 27 years. He started his first career in New York City working for McCann Erickson, a major worldwide advertising agency. After moving from planning to selling advertising to working in publishing, he moved to Atlanta in February of 94. During the last couple of years in New York, though, he tried to make it as a stand-up comedian. This is awesome, man. This is, this is like every, I don't know about every teacher's dream, but uh, you know, I, I can tell you that it was part of my dream at some point to be on a stage <laughs> doing stand-up comedy, all right? And, uh, you know, and so he, he moved to uh, Atlanta. So we're going to, by the way, we're going to come back to that uh, stand-up comedian part. Um, you know, after he moved to Atlanta in 1994, he remained in publishing until March of 96 and then had a few jobs in support of the Summer Olympics, including, now check this out, speaking on the phone with torch carriers who called an 800 number with questions or concerns. I cannot wait to go into that a little bit more. How do you like this thing? (laughs) (laughs) Foreshadowing, right? Very true. Very true. Nice. In May 1996, his first son, Will, was born, and his wife and he made a radical decision that uh, he would stay at home with him after she returned from um, from her finance career. Returned to her finance career. Went back to her finance career. There we go. I got that backwards. Uh, then they also began going to school. He, he began going to school at nights and weekends to get his teaching credentials. And after two and a half years, including student teaching, he earned his certification in early childhood, but remained home with the two boys until he eventually moved to Macon in 2001. He officially started his career with the Bibb County School District in January of 2002. After working for a year and a half at, as, at first as an EIP teacher and then a first grade teacher, he got a unique opportunity to teach in a computer lab and run a daily live newscast in a state-of-the-art broadcast studio. He worked at Burdell Hunt for a total of seven years, and then he decided to leave elementary school and move to high school. At Howard High, after he passed that, that really fun gaze test, <laughs> the, uh, I was given the role of, he, he was given, not me, I'm sorry about that, he was given the role of computer programming teacher, which was quite an experience. During his five years at Howard, he was the advisor of the first robotics team. And in the first go-round of that first robotics team, it lasted two years. And after a two-year hiatus, he reinstituted a countywide team. And in that year, with rookie status, they were named Outstanding Rookie Team at the Georgia State Championships and went on to nationals in St. Louis. During his years at Howard High School, he also developed a passion for the microphone and announced events with the school and for most of the athletic teams. After five years, an opportunity arose to move to a 
to another school in the district to teach audio, video, and film. After one year at Central High School, his pathway was integrated into the newly chartered Hutchings College and Career Academy, and he's currently completing his fourth year at Hutchings. His first responsibility at the school was is teaching, but however, there is a lot of additional work, and this pathway is tasked with producing video for Bibb County's Cox Education Channel, which they've rebranded as WVIP-TV, which is really cool what that stands for, and it's, it's a whole focus that the school system has. He also maintains a video site for the district where all the videos from the backlog can be found, and I'll make sure that it's in the show notes so you can go there if you want to take a look at uh, the types of videos they produce. So what I'll do is uh, welcome Joe Finkelstein to the show and uh, say hi to everybody, uh, Joe. Hi, everybody. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, and I greatly appreciate you being here. And before we go any further, you did stand-up comedy in New York. Cool, man. Tell us about that. It was very cool. I think it's kind of interesting now when I, I tell students, I've done this in the past, that I, I did the stand-up comedy, and they want to know whether I made it or not. And it's kind of hard for me. I try to kind of deadpan it. Not to hurt their feelings, but if I would have made it, I probably wouldn't be here right now teaching this. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I was like, yeah, um, I loved it. I, I did it as sort of a, maybe a personal dare. I don't remember for any other reason. <laughs> and New York, um, and it might still be the same. If you wanted to get on stage and be a comedian, you could find a venue. Any night of the week, there'd be one, two, sometimes three places with open mics. Now, that was the good news. The bad news is you might sign up and the show might start at eight. And they call you on stage about two, three in the morning. Oh my gosh. And there were two people left and one of them was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, the audience itself, it was kind of, kind of hard to, 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 you know, see, but, um, so I did it for two years and made some friends and, um, and had some fun with it. Uh, wrote, learned to write. And I'll tell you, it would be real nerve wracking sometimes to be sitting there waiting to get up. So this was the first test. You know, I'm not going to be petrified when I'm at the mic. And really, whenever I get up there, I wasn't. Even if there wasn't a good crowd at the time, it, w- it was fun. Even if I bombed, it was okay. So I-, I knew that it was something I wanted to pursue. And, you know, the writing would get better. You'd steal some jokes. I was never really a, a punchline c- kind of joke. I would tell little scenarios, you know. I'd, I'd get up there. My, my, my opening um, line is I try to establish how good I looked. You know, at the time, you know, I was a little thinner at the time. I had more hair, but, you know, I, I was all right. But um, somebody, I, w- I would ask how I looked, and they'd be, I just, they look terrific, right? Great. Weight Watchers. Because I've been in Weight Watchers now for five years. I've lost $836 and a half a pound. <laughs> nice. But I, I kept it off. I mean, the weight goes up and down. But that money, I never have to worry about that never money again. Worry about it. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Very cool. Yes, this, I can see. I can. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you would have me rolling. All right. So <laughs> it was. It was fun. Fun for everybody except for my um, now wife, who, you know, wasn't the type. Isn't the type who likes to see something over and over and over again, especially when I'm bringing her family into it as well. So nice. <laughs> and tonight I'm going to talk about might be my wife's family. Not, 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 just don't think that it's that way, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I would actually call them out. And stuff. Oh, nice, nice. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. The, so tell me what you, is there something that you learned? Because one of the things that I think is funny about, uh, funny, no pun intended. The, right. uh, one of the things that it's, it's cool about uh, stand-up is that you really kind of, I, I think it's neat. You're standing up on a stage and you're looking out at this audience and that audience may not be very friendly um, it may contain a few surprises that waiting to see if they can get your uh, attention at some point. And, and if, if nothing else, you may just, they just may be, you know, just not even in, into what you're talking about. Oh, sure. Sure. Especially if you're doing it, you know, many nights a week. I, I remember I met a guy, um, an older gentleman, uh, came to a workshop that I was in to talk to us and, um, yeah, the Burke, the Borscht belt up in the Berkshires and stuff like that. And, um, it's going way back, but he basically said, if I was serious about going into comedy, I needed to basically quit my job, you know, break up with my fiance, uh, fiance, move into the Y and do nothing but stand up 24-7. And, you know, I wasn't going to do that. But um, back to your question, though, you know, the experience really taught some life lessons. Um, patience, you know, because, again, you might have to kind of adapt a little bit, you know, going from like a really lively, fun audience to when you finally got up there, you know, you were trying to maybe attract attention of a very small audience. Um, also, this whole thing with um, being prepared, 
you know, and even as a teacher, I have to go back and look at this. Now, part of the problem that some comedians have, and, you know, we don't have to really go into this whole uh, Kramer thing when he was out there, but if you leave your material to start to uh, interact with a heckler or someone, you best know your material so well that you can come right back to it. Because if not, that's going to throw you and it's going to ruin things and God knows what you're going to say, what's going to come out of your mouth that could basically <laughs> ruin your life. Right. You know, one of the things that I think is uh, really cool because you know, most people think about, well, what about the problems? Well, talk about the good stuff. What Did you, ha- you, know, did you ever have that feeling, this is cool, this is going well? All the time, all the time. Um, I remember, especially when... Um, you know, you're responsible for bringing your own crowd. And, you know, uh, I mean, there were some paid gigs, but when you had a favorable audience that was really pulling for you and you could feel that, oh, my God, there was nothing better. There was nothing better in the world. I mean, a, a kind of a regret now is that, and I might have gotten myself taped once, is this is prior to really the age of um, all the phones, smartphones and everything. <laughs> yes. So there's not a lot of video out there. But, um, but yeah, I had some really kind of exciting gigs. I mean, I, I did perform sometimes in front of some people for whatever reason they were there. Um, I don't know if the audience remembers Henny Youngman. Oh, yeah. Um, take my wife, please. You know, who um, <laughs> I got up there. And, again, I was establishing how good I looked. And I was telling the audience I was doing something new to my hair, kind of hot, kind of sexy, kind of 90s, which I guess it was the 90s back then. Um, I'm going bald. And then I said, at least that's what, you know, Henny Youngman here told me. And I kind of glanced at him, and the look that he gave me was one of, you will never mention my name again. You will ever acknowledge that I was ever in the same room with you. Nice, nice. So it was um, it, it was great. I mean, I loved it. Um during that time, you know, and it's so hard to make it, um, you know, very few will. But I remember uh, kind of in the same crowd, not that we were buddy-buddy, but I would see, you know, several times a week was um, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the people that, you know, uh, was kind of doing the stand-up thing, and he actually made it, um, was Jim Gaffigan. I kind of bring that up because it's, it's so hard to make it and stuff. But one other thing with this too, you know, life lessons. So being prepared so that you can kind of come back to it. But also, and this applies to teachers too, is being able to take material that you've crafted and you've spent a lot of time with, but make it seem and sound like with your enthusiasm, it's the first time that's ever coming out of your mouth, even though you might use that material over and over again. So it's with your lesson plans or, you know, with your preparation for a class you know, even though maybe you've done it several times, and it'll be easy to kind of, you know, just go through the motions to treat it like it's the very first time and bring that enthusiasm and excitement out to your audience or to your students as well. That's cool. That's uh, very cool. I've always been uh, enamored with uh, stand-up comics who really are able to take something simple without getting too caught up in, uh, um, I don't know, there's, there's areas that I don't think they have to go to and, and can make people laugh, and it's just so cool to uh, to see that happen, and that's neat that you did that. So, and I'm going to use that kind of to segue into the classroom because sometimes it feels like in a classroom that you're on the stage, and you could teach the same class all day, and if you taught it five times, that you would have five different types of audiences because <laughs> you could have that one audience that you're like, dude, this is happening, man, I'm on a roll, and you go to the next class, hello, I can see you out there, I know you're out there, can we interact a little bit with me, and you know, and give me any other in, in betweens of that stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. And um, as you said before, it's kind of what changes, too, is, well, there could be a lot of changes, but the time of day, the energy level (laughs) and stuff, um, you know, if kids coming in after lunch are going to be acting very differently than kids who are barely woken up, they're going through the motions and stuff like that. But um, I think we run into problems as a teacher with your expectations about going a certain way. So you have to be willing, like you do in comedy, to maybe step aside Maybe use some different material that you hadn't planned to use. And again, that's where preparation comes in. I mean, we've all had lessons that um, we're just bombing from the get-go. <laughs> yes. You know, and, 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 you know, it's easy just to let it ruin your day and just keep on doing it. Or maybe it's an opportunity, you know, to kind of step back and engage the students in a different way. And I mean, you got to be careful with it because you don't want it to happen all of the time um, and create more of a kind of a chaotic type setting but um I think where the trust and your prep you know preparedness and also the relationship that you are able to develop with your students well, that's awesome because it's you know it's a big part of the uh it, just the what we do which is first of all you got to connect with the kids and second of all 
you know, the, the, the whole thing about being prepared is so important because a lot of times there's adults who think that they can just wing it. And, uh, and, uh, there's, you gotta be prepared. You gotta know what you're doing. You gotta have a plan B and you gotta have thought about um, working with a specific, some of the kids that are in the classroom and things like that. And I can imagine, you know, everything from, you know, that, that really translate well with, uh, if you're going to have success on the stage that you gotta be, especially if somebody starts heckling, you gotta be able to deal with that. And, you know, it's funny in our own classes, we might end up with somebody who's the wise guy who's going to try and take you off course and see if it'll, <laughs> if it'll work or not. And, uh, uh not that I've had experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, well, it's true. And I mean, there's so many written rules, you know, that as a teacher, you're not supposed to smile before <laughs> December. Or, I failed at that. I, yeah, I can't stop or, smiling. You know, make jokes or, or this or that. And yeah, and, and clearly now, I think it's this incredible skill if you're able to be a stand-up com- comedian and not be a completely foul-mouthed and, and everything because... Even if you're watching comedy, it's hard not to see people doing things. So you got to be real careful in school, obviously. Um, I was definitely, you know, kind of with my opening, have that kind of self-deprecating um, and sarcastic type of an attitude. I, I really care about people. And if I say something sometimes, I'm doing it for humor. But again, as a teacher, you got to be really careful about that stuff. I mean, I don't think it's a problem to engage children in, in, in joking, but you got to be really mindful, especially now of the areas that you don't want to talk about. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, you know, there's no, no with the profanity right off the bat. And then there's so many areas. And then plus you don't want it to be where it becomes, you know, hurtful talk or something like that, where it may be laughter, but it's really not laughter to whoever. So, you know, this sense of humor in the classroom is a lot different. I think it's not about um, telling jokes and so forth. It's just being able to laugh even at yourself or at the, the funniness of whatever it is that you're teaching. I mean, in, in a lot of what we do, there's things that, uh, you know, uh, um, are funny. Uh, I was a history teacher and there's stuff that when you look at it, you go, dude, man, why did they do this? Well, we keep repeating it too. <laughs> what the heck? We're not learning from the past. And you can find the fun in that or the inter- entertainment sure. part of it. And, you know, with just about any class, there's some part or aspect of it. And I even believe that Sorry, my math colleagues, but somewhere in math, there's because <laughs> I know my wife loves math. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I remember for a um, a class when I was going back to school to get my teaching certification, I I basically wrote a poem about changing a decimal into a fraction from the perspective of Big Bird. Nice. And um, you know, Big Bird was all for it, so we'd have other people we could talk to because he was you know much taller. <laughs> yes. You know, decimals are kind of, you know, that one, one level, but, um, you know, again, it comes into the mindset. I mean, teachers are human, you know, and, um, with all of the things that come into the classroom every day, you know, the, the good things, the bad things, this and that sometimes, you know, it's hard to not let some of you, of, of your emotions, your humanity come out. So it's, again, it's really a matter of being prepared. It's a matter of having the relationship with the students. It's about, you know, being able to say, I'm sorry at certain times. That's a good point, yeah. Um, To laugh with them, even though, you know, they don't have the timing or the humor that I've got. (laughs) Nice, yeah. You know, it is funny, though, because it's it's part of what you have have to do, I I really think, is you gotta figure out that uh, what's gonna work, because connecting with the kids is important, but it's not connecting at a friend level, it's connecting at I'm a real human type level. So they don't think that you just kind of like go lock yourself in a closet, hook up into the <laughs> the little USB port and recharge your batteries and come back out the next day. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's what, that's part of what makes them buy into us as teachers before they buy into the content type thing. Sure. Know? Sure. So cool stuff. All right. So let's, let's, let's shift gears here and let's talk a little bit about, uh, uh and by the way, so thriller, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'll always remember that. Um, you know, MTV was a thing. <laughs> yes, and they played music in those days. And uh, my friend Tim, um, I'm trying to think where we were, but he talked me into going to this party. And he had, had actually casually dated um, Ellen. And we left the party at some point after after the Thriller video and went to uh, the, the Mad Hatter, an establishment, and went dancing. And Tim had excused himself for a moment. And I did ask Ellen to dance if she'd like to dance. And she said no. <laughs> Nice. Um, I thought she was she, she was attractive, and um, nothing much came of it until I ran into her in the library. And I don't know if people know what a library is now. I used to have books <laughs> and stuff. Uh, I ran to the library at the University of Georgia in February, and um, 
asked her if I, she wanted to go out after we talked for a little while to dinner, and we did that. I'll tell you, I can't even imagine now, Steve, with all of the communication devices. You know, I don't know if that situation would have even popped up. You know, where, you know, no phones, no iPads, nothing. Just, hey, there's somebody. Let me have a little conversation. Right. That's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because I've seen the studies that are talking about how we may have lots of ways of communicating, but we really don't communicate that well with each other now. No. We're, doing, talk. Let's you know, talk. we're still lonely. That's, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, just like you said, it, it may not happen today. By the way, when you said no phones, the first thing that comes to mind is no phone, no lights, no motor cars. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, wow, because then then you're gonna say let's actually go out, it, you know, because you get a phone. Oh, and the worst thing too. Do you remember? You know, back then, probably not. That you actually, um, I mean, I don't know. There was time before answering machines, but someone was gonna call you, and you actually felt like you had to be there to get the phone call. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to go out? No, I can. Uh, I might get a call. <laughs> I might get a call. When I sometime. In my, where I went to, to undergrad, the, uh, there was a, on our fraternity hall, there was a payphone, And you really wanted somebody to listen to that phone. So sometimes there were some of the guys who would, you know, they would basically say, I will buy you a pizza. I will do whatever. You got to answer that phone because I got to go do this thing over on the other side of campus. Just answer it and take a message if it's for me and tell them I will call them back. And usually that's because they're waiting for some girl to call them back or something like that. And, it, and it's funny, whereas today we got, I mean, you've got almost immediate access and you're kind of dissing somebody if you, <laughs> if you don't answer their calls. Like, what, what happened to you? I called you. I texted you. I did all this stuff and you didn't respond. Right, right. Or they, they texted you maybe or something. So, <laughs> so some things haven't changed. They didn't answer the phone then. I'm answering the phone now. <laughs> nice. The, uh, um, so I think it's pretty cool, though, that you, you uh, progressed from her not wanting to have anything to do with you to uh, right. To well, that's pretty cool. It, it was. And um, to her credit, um, now, if you did the math, I don't know if you did in your head, from, you know, dating in 84 to now, I mean, we're talking, what, you know, over 35 years, whereas we're coming up on our 27th anniversary. So there was a little bit of time in between. And I like to say, well, you know, we were young and we were. I, I moved to New York City after graduation and she still had a couple of years until she got her degree and moved up as well. But if it wasn't for her... Um, hanging in there and, you know, seeing beyond, um, me being a boy, you know, nice. we wouldn't be, we, you know, I wouldn't be in Macon, Georgia for sure because <laughs> that's where she grew up. But, um, yeah, so, um, it, things worked out well. Cool. So, all right. I'd like to ask this question for people who, uh, maybe didn't, uh, grow up here or whatever. Um, and I didn't either, by the way, I, I was introduced to these and I love them. Um, so coming from New York to here, did you have grits? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because um, I remember I worked at McCann Erickson and a lot of really cool parties back then. Oh, my God. The perks and advertising were incredible. And I went to a party and um, I'm going to forget the name of the place, but it was down in the village and it was around the holiday time. And James Brown was there. No, this is cool. And I got to hear him speak. And I want to say that, and I don't know if it was there because times are kind of kind of coming together, but there was grits there. Nice. And um, oh, and then what it, what it is too, I worked in print planning so um, for major accounts. So major magazines would call. And sometimes they would take you out to lunch. They'd do something. Southern Living came in to call on us for our business, and they brought breakfast in. And um, I remember um, I had some eggs and I had some grits and I was, um, you know, a junior media planner. I was sitting next to an account person who was much higher up the food chain. And I'm like eating my eggs. I'm eating my grits. And he looks at me and he goes, you like grits? I was like, yeah. He goes, here, have mine. (laughs) Nice, nice. (laughs) And listen, I didn't even need to have the cheese on there. You know, I I would eat them raw. Excellent. Nice. That's, that's, see, I love that that stuff. And it's, you know, grits are awesome, man. That's cool that you like them. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, I have to start taking an unofficial pole bowl type thing. Is it, how many people? Anyway. All right, moving on. We'll get off the grit stuff. <laughs> That's cool that you like them, though. All right, so, uh, and I don't own stock in grits either. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about this. we we got to talk about this thing that you did for the, the Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Now, <laughs> I'm going to go back to that in case you don't remember me reading that in his bio. Um, you spoke on the phone with torch carriers who called an 800 number with questions or concerns. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So this is about my um, 
well, second or third type of function. Jobs are moving around, you know, based on what was needed. I started out for a few weeks with ACOG, which is the actually um, the board, and I was doing data work. But then I got a job at Coca-Cola, which actually I was told I wasn't a Coke employee. I was an employee of the um, of the uh, placement. They had like kind of like um, they were hiring with a, what do you call it, one of those, like a job um, temporary firm. Oh, yeah, yeah. A temporary service. But the temporary firm was only for Coca-Cola. Nice. nice. But you, <laughs> you don't work, work for, for Coke. Us. I work for the temporary firm that only works for Coca-Cola. Nice. So, um, so I go up there, and literally, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of uh, taking these phone calls from um, these torchbearers. And some of them are um, individuals. So I did talk to some really kind of cool people. But I remember there, were, there, there was a call, and, and you kind of, I said, foreshadowed it, where um, a guy calls up, and he says, you know, um, I got to run with the torch. I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. Oh, I loved it. The reason I'm calling is because we're having a picnic this weekend and I wanted to find out how I could relight this thing. <laughs> nice. So not that anybody has them laying around. What I was told to tell him was that you, you can't relight them. Excellent. <laughs> so that went on. And then um, there was a little bit of a uh, panic going on because I believe it was Katie Couric was going to be a, a torchbearer apparently. And she had said on her show, I don't know if it was you know today or whatever it was, that they no longer had T-shirts above a certain size, you know, because not only would you get the torch to run, but you get it get a shirt. Right, right. So people started calling in mass and like they're freaking out because they didn't think that they would get a shirt that would fit. And you know, I, I don't know remember what was on the script exactly, but um, nice. No, it was. <laughs> I didn't think it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that would be interesting, right? Whatever you had to tell them, panicking about the T-shirt size. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that. I want my T-shirt, man. If I'm going to do this, it needs to fit me, not, to, not just... No, exactly. I mean, they weren't even running for a week, you know, and it's like... You right. Know, oh, you know, ask the, the bus or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've been running for a week, and this is this is what I get is a small T-shirt? <laughs> Thanks. That that must have been an experience. I, I, I knew somebody who worked for AOL in the beginning, and... And his job was to try and figure out how to quickly solve their problem. And uh, one of the phone, usually the first thing they were trained to ask them is, is it plugged in? <laughs> because he was amazed, and he told me it was amazing how many people thought that it just, you put the computer up and, and uh, they thought the internet just happened. It just right? happened. And <laughs> because you turned on the computer, it just happened. Oh, you got to plug in the phone line. All right. Well, Steve, too, it was interesting. And I'll tell you, it's like, uh, you know, relatively young. Some of the cool things about it were they had a great cafeteria there, right? All the Coke machines on all the floors didn't take any money. You just wow. go push it and get <laughs> nice. that and stuff like that. Now, my, my, that actual um, job ended when the torch made it to Atlanta. There's no more torch bearers. Um, and I moved upstairs for about a week or two before this radical change and I started staying home. I moved to the um, executive offices. I was kind of like back up to the admin for somebody. And there, it was like walking into one of these convenience stores. There were no machines. were just like the, you know, the refrigeration units with yes. the, you'd open up. So not only could you get the Coke products, but you get the Fruitopia. Nice. You get like all the other products and stuff. Uh -huh. And oh, and the other thing too is um, you pay for lunch. It was, but what you wouldn't pay for was the I guess it was the slushy slushy machines. Ooh. So you could always go down there and get your Coke slushy and stuff. Nice. Oh. But oh, they told you, and I, I, don't know, I don't know if this was an old wives' tale, but you'd always hear the story about somebody who came to work with um, Taco Bell or like a Pepsi, and they were just <laughs> fired on the spot. I, in, you know, in those days, that competition was pretty uh, pretty serious because Pepsi, somewhere around there is when Pepsi opened a, a a major office in the Atlanta area and tried to do head-on business. As a matter of fact, uh, somewhere in there is where the, um, you know, they were sponsoring all kinds of stuff, and they were, they were starting to... Um, get into the high schools and uh, pay for scoreboards to be up and stuff like this. And all of a sudden, Coke had competition like that. But, you know, by the way, before we go any further, I, I'm pretty sure my audience knows by now because I made enough off-the-hand comments. You know, uh, I am a Coca-Cola. You know, I, I am in, the, <laughs> the, the, in Georgia, all right. Pepsi, hmm, you know, uh, Coke, right, hey. Right, right, Coke. <laughs> well, um, when I worked at McKenna Erickson, and I didn't work on the account, but that was Coca-Cola, you know, wow. where they had their advertising or – I'm sure it was spread out, but a major part of advertising. And it was right, I don't know if you all remember this, but Coke was launching out to create new Coke. Yes. And so then they didn't want to leave the old Coke. It became, I guess, Coke Classic. And the new Coke and all kinds of taste tests. So that was all over there. And 
Um, of course, the punchline is years later, uh, New Coke didn't make it. They might have gotten rid of the classic name, and we're back to where we were to begin with. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was it was it was a neat place. It was a neat place to work. That's and, awesome. Um, well, cool stuff. You got you got a really cool background, and there's all kinds of neat stuff in there. And what I'd like to do right now is let's talk about teaching just a little bit, because one of the things I'd like you to to talk about is do you have some memory of working with kids that just is that thing that makes you go, this is why I teach? I I do. Um, you know, especially when you have some students who um, either because of academics or how, how they're fitting in with, you know, their peers have a difficult time and they really come to something and get excited about, you know, what you're teaching, what they're doing. Um, I remember my first year at Howard, so I left the elementary school and he, now I'm teaching computer science, which my experience in computer science was um, in a, when I was in high school and there were these punch cards. and you know. <laughs> Nice. So I had no experience. Um, and it, it, it wasn't bad because there were some programs out there, some games out there. They would teach really the kind of the process that you would be involved in programming. And I remember there's a program called Alice, which is out there. It was developed at Carnegie Mellon where you'd have all kinds of cool characters and each character you could manipulate different parts of their bodies or, or, or different things through putting in code. Um, and it was fun. And one, one of the difficult things about uh, doing programming was a lot of times you would do all this code and if it didn't work, you know, you didn't really know what was wrong. You know, when you're kind of getting started. Yeah. Here you could see things like you wanted this ice skater to actually skate in a circle when you pushed um, some key on the keyboard. And you push the key and she'd fly in the air. Well, you knew you did something wrong. <laughs> yes. But the kids could use their creativity. And there's a guy um, I love, Bob Allen, who's um, been a computer science teacher at Mercer for years and years. He had developed an Alice competition. He did it twice a year, invited high school's uh, students to participate in teams. And what you would get would be um, the contest, there'd be four scenarios that would be set up. And, you know, you would have however long it was to go ahead and work on each. So we might have a team of four or eight and you'd have, you know, one or two people working on each scenario and then sending it in, they get graded and then you'd end up with the first, second, you know, third place winner. And um, it was funny, we had schools here in Bibb County, but you would always have like one school system showing up from New Mexico or New Jersey. You're like, how did they find out? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's always that school. But uh, to get, kind of give you an example, one was based on um, Survivor and like you had a program um, and create like a mummy, um, a skeleton, and a ghost, and they were all fighting to remain on the island. So they had to show their worth. And you know, again, this was all key uh, driven by keys that you would push on your keyboard, and, and they would have all these different methods would occur. And the kids loved it, and um, and we did well. We actually won a lot. Um, it, it was just a lot of fun. But you had kids, and I remember a couple parents spoke to me and said, "Really appreciate what you're doing, what you and Alice are doing." <laughs> You know, because they found something that they could, you know, really kind of get into and stuff. And cool. um, um, I remember we had a couple of cheerleaders on the team once, and um, we won. And the principal at Howard got us uh, chicken wings, had a little party. And um, I believe this particular cheerleader had a meeting before she could come meet us, was after school. And it was like the Big Bang Theory, before there was a Big Bang Theory. <laughs> All these guys are kind of moping around, they're just kind of sitting there. And here she walks in, everyone's like, oh. <laughs> We have a cheerleader on our team. Awesome. So I, I've had situations like that. I've had students who um, actually have an IEP. I've even had some students that are at their home school. They're um, access students and are in a self-contained classroom, um, but uh, have been with me and have been amazing, amazing to work with. So that's always exciting, you know, when you see somebody who might not have experienced that joy of school, who gets excited about it. So, and I said, you know, earlier on, we talked about the robotics to have the, some of those kids go on to St. Louis and nationals that had never really been out of the state and stuff. So that's cool stuff. That's, you know, the robotics thing just alone to see, I, I can imagine, uh, as the kids figure out how to make their robot do what it's supposed to do and then see it, do it and control it to, to do those things. Like I, I've been at one where they were trying to, the arm had to be able to open the door on the cabinet and you got like bonus points or something for being able to go into the cabinet and pull out the bugs that were crawling around inside oh, there. I will tell you, you know, th this is interesting now because I didn't really know anything about robots or computers. Now, the programming, I said there was some gaming software out there that we were able to learn programming, but as far as straight coding goes, and, and, and that's something as a teacher, 
that you could realize that you don't have to necessarily be an expert and know something to still be involved. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that we had a couple of parents of students that were engineers. And so they kind of took that over along with some students at Mercer. And then the kids got excited about it. Um, there were times I felt like completely like at a loss. You know, I was basically having to be there because there hadn't been an adult there. And I love these kids. I, you know, I knew nothing that was I knew nothing that was going on. But you don't have to, in, in that case, necessarily do that. Now, I don't know if it's a good idea to hire a f head football coach who doesn't know anything about football. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen that movie. Um, the uh, you know, Waterboy. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we've got, uh, you know, it, one of the things that I think is so cool about teaching, and it's hard to describe to people who've never done it, is those those moments when you when you realize this is why I teach. And I just think it's cool what you described. It's just different types of interactions that you have with kids. And, uh, you know, whether it's the, you know, the light bulbs going on or whether it's the, you know, they, they're able to succeed at whatever it is that you've been trying to get them to, to do or learn and they make it work for themselves. That's cool stuff. I just had a, a scenario where um, we have a lot, a lot of people request that things are filmed for them. You know, as I mentioned, we program for Channel 17, the cable channel, but I'm also... I'm only laughing because it's kind of like owning a truck. Everybody's like, what are you doing this weekend? Exactly. <laughs> you know, be like, oh, we're having a birthday party in class. Can you come film it? No, we can't come <laughs> film it. But I have a hard time saying no. So so anyway, um, going back about a month or so, uh, here we had our CTAE Student of the Year ceremony. Um, so this is all of the, the high schools along with Hutchings. So seven schools here in Bibb County, and they each had nominated a student, and prior to the event, the student and their nominating advisor had to come in. So I got kind of tasked with filming them and putting together sort of like a video that would be played that night of the actual banquet. So there's a gentleman comes in, um, I want to say major sergeant, you know, involved in JROTC, Marines, from one of the high schools, Rutland High School. He comes in and we do his part and he goes, hey, you know, can you help me? Um, we want to film, uh, create a recruitment video for the Marines, Junior ROTC. And I'm thinking like, we got a lot going on and, you know, how would this work out? So make a long story short, I had a couple of students that go to Rutland because I'm here at Hutchings. We serve students from all over the district. And I actually had them stay back at their school um, during the time they would be here for about two or three days. And they went and they videoed um, different things going on during school and also stayed after school a couple of days. So I, I was hoping that they would kind of come up with stuff and I didn't know how much I was going to have to get involved in. And it was like unbelievable. When I saw their rough draft, I was waiting to kind of, you know, I don't put that, that down, but I hadn't really seen stuff like this before from them. I was amazed. I was like, this is excellent. And I sent it to you know, um, onto Rutland and, um, gentleman was like, well, you know, he had a couple of suggestions, but he said, this is awesome. So, um, I was really thinking that we kind of create something we give, we send it over to him and, and that would be it. But it got to the point where like, I'm going to put this on channel 17. I'm going to upload this to our video site. And actually that, that happened in the last day. And I'm just so proud of these kids. So, you know, I'd like to think, you know, maybe they learned something from me, which I'm sure that they did. But also, they owned it. They, they, they took that. And when you see a child own something and go with it, that, that's amazing. That is. That's awesome. And I can that, imagine that, right that, there, you're just like, oh, they get the, you get the uh, shivers over knowing that they did it. And that's cool. Good stuff. And, and you need that because as a teacher, you got to realize you're going you're, you're to see all kinds of things. And sometimes you're going to go home and you're going to be like, did I, did I make a difference? Am I reaching these kids? Are these, what do these kids think? And then you'll see some work that they've done. Maybe you had them write something. And all of a sudden, you get reconnected to their humanity, and um, that's really cool. That is cool. The uh, so I got to ask you: you have a unique experience here because you you got early childhood certification. You, you worked in an elementary school, and now you're in a high school. Is there anything you miss about the elementary school? I, I do. I mean, I, I I loved. I mean, those kids. A lot of them, especially when I was teaching first grade, there's just unconditional love. Hmm. Cool. You know, it's not about necessarily all these experiences. I mean, they'll come in and say stuff that you just, <laughs> really, you know. <laughs> but um, but it, it, they're amazing. I will tell you, though, after teaching there for a year or two, um, whereas most people saw little kids and sweet little kids, I saw these, like, giant um, Godzillas. And, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, my God. You know? 
Nice. So, um, and I saw people, uh, be out, they'll come up to me at the movie theater. Hey, Mr. Finkelstein, you remember me? And I'm like, you know, I had you in first grade. I'm, I'm like, I think you've groaned a little. <laughs> I don't remember the facial hair. You know? nice. So every, every, hey, buddy, hey, pal, hey, sweetheart, you know? And they're holding their own kids and stuff. That's <laughs> awesome. Like, so, yeah, that, that, that that's kind of that, cool. That's, that's very cool. The, uh, we, you know, in, in thinking about, uh, the program that you teach, one of the things that I want to make sure that we talk about, because like right now we're sitting in your TV studio at the school where you, where you teach and it's got some cool stuff, including you know, something I'm very jealous of. You've got an entire wall that's painted green screen and uh, we've got some neat equipment and stuff like this. Tell us a little bit about your course. Tell us a little bit about the, the kids who sign up for it and uh, some of the stuff you do and make sure you kind of get into um, why the name of the TV channel was changed to, VIP. Sure, sure. So, um, as I'm sure you know, people are, are aware at this point, the movie industry has gotten so big in Georgia, you know, for for, for you know Most different definitely. reasons and stuff. So it's huge. Um, we got the Georgia Film Academy out of Fayetteville, which is an opportunity for students after they leave high school um, to go and to really get some intensive training and to actually be placed on the set of a movie or a TV show. And um, really, you know. When people say, oh, I want to go to the movies, I, okay, you know, you want to be an actor, great. You know, you're going to have to wait tables, too, or something, you know, or right. you, want to, you, want to, you want to be a screenwriter. But really, most of those jobs you want to get into would be like your production assistants or your people who would work with the electrical or the cameras or all kinds of things, and you have that opportunity there. So really stepping then to the next level or the lower level, we got high school. And we have so many of these um, pathways now within the state, and, and it's really great. So the students are given the opportunity to really pick up some skills that they could use as they go on, whether it be to, col uh, to college, whether it be to the Georgia Film Academy, whether it be to their local CBS affiliate. You know, um, And I've had students who you know, do show up doing camera work at the TV stations within a year or so after they graduate. So um, it's a terrific program like that. Now, um, we're in a unique situation, which is becoming, I guess, more um, common throughout the state in that we're in a, a college and career academy. And um, the way, I guess, in the past, uh, these different courses would work is you would take uh, the start of a pathway as a freshman or sophomore, take audio video one, then the next year as a junior, you might take two, then you take three as a senior. Maybe you start early, you know, some schools are on block schedules, some are on, you know, uh, change at the year, but but here is the opportunity within one year that they will complete a whole pathway, as well as all these pathways also have an embedded course, and ours is dramatic writing uh, for television, film, and theater, which is kind of a new class that's coming. So um, it's a great opportunity. Um, students in a lot of the classes also have a, an option um, to do dual enrollment. A lot of that's through Central Georgia. We're not quite there yet um, with audio, video, film, and I'm sure within a year or two, we'll have a relationship with the college, too, where we'll have dual enrollment. Um, so uh, I majored in journalism broadcast at, at Georgia, and though that equipment's long been sent to the Smithsonian. <laughs> yes. Um, Did you ever have to use a thing called a toaster? Yeah, you know, that might have been... No, no. I that's didn't. the 90s. It's, uh, that's yeah. something in the 90s that uh, I just remember my... Um, friend who was a tv studio guy who he, he was so happy the day he got a toaster and it, not, toaster. not the thing that had toast in it it was a it was a special device that was big at the time and then soon was outdated i'll tell you one of the biggest changes though was until really uh, there was uh the, until the digital video really picked up you know analog whereas if i wanted to go and i shot some video it would take me um real time to get that video into the computer so you know clearly a football game you know i mean three hours to get that in there now you pull the card out you put it in you drag it in you know you're in business you can start editing in two Sweet. minutes you know so things have changed like that but um it for me it allowed me to come more so into um i think the creative process uh, and i'm still growing and i'm still learning learning how to do this but i want people kids to be able to tell their stories to share stories and, um, and, and, you know, what better way than through, whether it be audio or video, um, things have changed. Everybody wants to have their YouTube channel, you know, and, and the attention spans are much different now. You got videos coming at you, bam, 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 bam. But I still think, you know, there's opportunities out there to maybe do some longer stuff, 
but to really be able to to craft and have a voice in something. And honestly, I, it's it's difficult for a lot of students because you got to be really willing to do that. And it's not that it's difficult and that they don't want to talk about things, but they we have to get a little deeper. Again, you know, they're not used to seeing watching long videos now. They want they want something to be quick, which know, is amazing, by the way. There's all this data on. Uh, you know, on the length of videos, you know, lots of it being three minutes and less type of thing, as opposed to, you know, you think about, wow, that's a... What, one of the things that you really got to learn in audio video is about sound. And sound is the most important part of the video. If you think about it, if you have some bad pictures, some bad video, but you got good sound, you could always take pictures or other video and put it on top, call it B-roll and stuff. But if you have bad sound, it doesn't matter how good your video is, you're in trouble. Right. You're always a bad sound. That's, that's not, so. you're right. That's the, that's the bad part about it. So what do, they, what do the kids like the most? What is it that they, when they take your class, what is it that they really kind of want you to do more of? Well, the kids want the, the equipment in their hands. You know, they want, hey, give me a video camera. Let me go out and shoot or let me do this and do that. And, and really it's a process you know, like everything else. I mean, you want the student to get into the habit of developing scripts, writing scripts, writing shot sheets, you know, because, you know, otherwise, well, what are you going to go shoot? Well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> right. You know, and then they come back and they'll be like, um, okay, well, we got, we got stuff filmed. We'll, we'll finish tomorrow. And then they'll come in tomorrow and say, well, we're wearing different clothes, so we have to start all over again. <laughs> oh, didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or um, or we forgot to put the volume on, so we don't have any sound. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, it just depends. I, I have uh, I have one boy this year who just has gotten so into the storytelling, um, and it's been interesting. He's kind of taken a slice of of a, a, you know a slice of stab at developing all these characters that make him up and having conversations. So it's kind you know uh, his. Curiosity is talking to his respect or vice versa. Cool. It's really, really That's been amazing. Cool. <laughs> it, it, it really is. Um, I've had some kids who've really gotten into the editing and, and kind of putting projects together. I've had other kids who are like this, you know, um, the talking, the podcasting, or kind of like, you know, giving facts and information. Um, some kids like to go out and have them do silent movies or do movies with a certain amount of shots. You can only use maybe, you know, I want a movie with exactly five shots in it. Give me a wide shot, then a close-up, then this, then that. So, um, you know, you want to find things that are going to motivate the kids, but it's tough, too, because I really want them to bring in their own, um, their own thoughts, their own willingness to, to, to do things. And really, you know, there's certain things we want to teach them. We want to teach them how to, how, to, how to frame a good shot, how to do lighting, how to do sound, how to, you know, do things like that. But it doesn't have to be based on a certain subject matter they're shooting a movie. So what is it that gets you excited? You know, if you want to go out and, you know, do a movie about a math class because you love math, we'll just do it, you know? Yeah. On, you know, what's interesting is that uh, not only the whole state of Georgia, but Macon itself is a place where I don't know how many of you listening know, if you watch that show, The Walking Dead, that uh, some of those scenes are from downtown Macon. And uh, matter of fact, just recently, the local news station gave a listing over the next couple of months of different streets that are going to be closed and different uh, um, shooting projects that are going on here, like the, uh, um, I think there's uh, Showtime and HBO have a couple different shows um, taking place, or at least aspects of them being filmed here, and you know, that was pretty cool, and they had uh, just, just this whole area is kind of, uh, I started to say booming for that, which yeah, the, the irony, and uh, just as a note, an irony of that was a couple of years ago when they were doing some scene for The Walking Dead, I think they blew out the windows. <laughs> Of some of the old buildings, right? right. Um, because they had too much explosives for something that went on. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's a, it, it's a, you know, the whole state, and you know, a lot of the, some of the superhero movies, many of the superhero movies are shot in the state so. across the street from the George Film Academy. Yeah, yeah. Marvel movies at Pinewood Studios in in Fayetteville. Um, we have one of the oldest baseball stadiums in, in the country, um, Luther Williams Field. Been there. It's cool. And um, we actually have a s summer team there now playing uh, the Macon Bacon. I love it. Their mascot's Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Um, so, yeah, we, we've had movies shot there um, as well in shows. I actually uh, spent the day a couple years back as an extra for a show called Brockmire. Cool. Which was a lot of fun. And um, 
got to have that whole experience and you make money, you get paid and stuff. I mean, if you have flexibility, you could, you can make some, I, I wouldn't say make a living, but you know, make some nice change being, nice. being, being an extra. That's cool. The, uh, so, I mean, it, one of the things that's really neat is it is an industry that's just, you know, it, the, where we are now with the technology to make things seem so real that are in some of these films and such, it's got to really intrigue kids to want to be, you know, have something to do with it. You know, the, the ability now with the technology to be in their fingertips. I mean, you talk about podcasting here. I mean, it's with limited expenditures, you can be at a really cool level and you can do film shooting with, uh, you know, iPhones and mm-hmm. Androids and with a limited amount of, uh, of expenditure there as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's put, it's put certain, you know, people, certain types of, um, jobs or establishments out of business, you know, because you could do so, so much of this stuff, which, which is really amazing. And, um, I'll tell you, I mean, for me, even now, watching the credits of a movie, I mean, it was always just words, you know, five million, you know, right. I mean, the credits last as long as the movie did, right? right. And then some of the action movies, you have to stay till the end because there's going to be like some sort of teaser at the very end. But, um, you know, you'd see, oh, best boy. And um, w- w- was that like an award that they got? <laughs> right. You know, who is the best boy? Uh, I vote for Steve, you know. <laughs> nice. um, gaffers. And, gaffer's um, my favorite. That's like, what a great word. It's like gaffer. You know, um, but it all starts to make sense. You know, and you need, all, you need a whole lot of people. I don't know if you need everybody. I don't know how it all works. And then, then just when it's done with, you know, one list of scrolls, it starts again because now they're going for the other location. <laughs> right, know? right. That's that, in a movie that I just saw the other night. They had all these locations that I'm like, oh my gosh, you never would have guessed that this film was filmed all, I mean, some major different parts of the world. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> and each of them had their own people. And my favorite part is the caterers are always listed. So oh, I yeah. <laughs> and that's a huge thing too. I mean, craft industry. So, you know, when you go to like the film Academy and stuff like that, and you're learning about these different things. I mean, that's, I mean, these people who are involved in the food, and there's all kinds of rules that go into, um, union rules that go into um, what the um, films when they're uh, producing, when they're shooting, as far as breaks and time and food being served. I mean, because you could be shooting at all hours and stuff. They could bring that food out. And they're serious about this food. We're not just talking, oh, they're going to bring a bag of chips and, you know, some Cokes. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they, they've created this, you know. In fact, the day I was an extra. Um, now, it was interesting because I was an extra the day, and I think they had about 70, 60, 70 people. And I'd heard the next day they were doing it with like three or 400 people. Wow. So this was different as far as lunch. But my lunch... Oh, it was like a Cajun buffet. Oh my gosh. It was incredible. <laughs> nice. I heard the next day it was like chicken and they kind of, you know, I don't know what that machine or device is that they just stamp on it that looks like it has like the, the grill marks and stuff. Uh, yes. <laughs> kind of spray paint the grill marks spray on. <laughs> that sounds like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Anyway, the, uh, oh, cool stuff. So let's, uh, real quick, I want to make sure before we leave um, talking about video, um, talk about uh, WVIP. WVIP. So this is really, um, and we all have our pins on, WVIP. VIP stands for Victory in Progress. Excellent. And, um, you know, we have Dr. Curtis Jones as a superintendent, recently named uh, National Superintendent of the Year. Which is awesome. That's it's very awesome. cool. So he's done a lot of great things, but this whole VIP, and we wear this with pride to earn this. And um, so we're W. Victory in Progress, Channel 17. Excellent, excellent. So what I'd like to do is we're uh, kind of bringing things uh, around to a close here because it's been awesome talking with you. you got this cool background, and you're, you're working in such a cool environment with the kids. And uh, is that I'd like to, uh, first of all, we got to talk a little bit about, you know, i, I got to ask you a couple questions here that uh, just are going to seem really out there. But when we start talking technology, I like asking people if they had something that inspired them or something that's always been in their background, or something that made them want to pursue learning a little bit more about how to use technology, what would you say that thing was? I would say it's the opportunity, ability to actually produce something. You know, in this case, in the digital world. Um, I don't know if you were mentioning before, um, I, I definitely have trouble uh, producing something in the hardware world, the electrical <laughs> world, but digital. If To be able to kind of really um, put something out there, develop a story, um, to either share for enjoyment or to to give information and for somebody to actually uh, be able to watch that and get that kind of information and, and get that clarity. Or um, We just did a couple of big shows uh, that we filmed. One was 
the National Superintendent of the Year celebration, which was at the Grand Opera House. Cool. You did that video. Um, I've seen. We, we did a video of the whole show that we have now on, you know, on the web, um, as well as we also uh, just did the um, Golden Eagle Awards, which is through the Macon Telegraph, which honors students from um, all over central Georgia in 13 different categories. Nice. So um, that was kind of cool. We got some really good video of that. Now it became a labor of love because with all the names and all the titles we had to put in there, but to be able to now to uh, produce that, and I just got a great letter from uh, Jamie Godet, who was the um, project manager of this whole Golden Eagles, where um, she took the video and sent it out to all of the local coordinators at the school, the counselors, the people who nominate the students, you know, the winners. And, and that felt really good because, you know, here we have something that we produced that now can be watched by these students who, you know, got the awards. Um, hopefully the thing we did with Dr. Jones, it's something he could, you know, kind of hang on to and stuff. So, um, and it's great too. With now, with the memory available on the cloud, they were able to, again, upload this and make it available for download versus, well, I'm watching it on TV and it's going to eventually come up, you know, um, and I'll get to see that. And, you know, I mean, when's the last time you pulled out your VCR and stuck a videotape in there? To well, ironically, record? yesterday. Okay. But. <laughs> <laughs> so not a, not a fair question to ask me because I keep all that that stuff there so I can watch something that's old if I need to. <laughs> um, yeah, just adding to the technology. Also, the, sometimes it's for the sake of technology. I mean, I got so um, intrigued. I still go back to those commercials they had when I upgraded to a 56K modem. <laughs> and it was supposed to make the internet so much more of an enjoyable experience, you know, which I guess it did. I don't know. But when they started talking about actually putting live baseball games on there, I just, I just, it was so hard to get that concept. You know, I was like, maybe, you know how like, Sometimes you have to make things smaller so they look clear. Yes. I'm thinking like, what, the size of a dime or something? You can watch a baseball game. But now to be able to go to the internet and have like this, you know, montage of all these games, let me pick this one and that, it's just like amazing. It you know? is, isn't it? I, I got to say this because this year uh, I was, I had to travel on the day that the last um, game, it was the last game of the World Series was happening. And even though I'm not a fan of either of the teams, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I was rooting for, Boston over the Dodgers, and uh, those were the two teams in the, I am the right year, right? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, 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 you got it, you got it. <laughs> anyway, what was cool was there was a teacher who was in, in the, in, he's out there in LA, he's in the stadium, he has his tickets, and he was live streaming the game. Mm -hmm. And I got to see, <laughs> I stumbled upon his live stream because I'm like, I got to see this. I was someplace where I couldn't, I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't do anything. And he's sitting there in the stands um, live streaming and I got to see part of it. And you think about just the ability. This is in his hands. He's a, he's a, a teacher out in California someplace. And he, he's a Dodgers, huge Dodgers fan. And he, he, he live streamed that last game there or big it's, chunks it's of great, it. It's great. Yeah. Look what ESPN's done with their ESPN plus, I guess it is now where, Literally, I mean, you could watch football, sporting events from like about every school there's at, that's out there. You know, I remember uh, growing up in New Jersey. Oh man, I was a Rutgers football fan, and um, one year they made a bowl game. It wasn't like you know one of the major <laughs> ones, and they played um, Tulane, I think it was. I'm only laughing because I like the way you said it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and this game was on TV. I mean, Rutgers had never been on TV. Right. I listened to the radio. It was like, oh my god. Now it's like, oh. Are you going to watch that Lehigh Colgate game? It's going to be on, <laughs> you know. Or it is funny that way, isn't it? Because you, you would have never been able to find it. And today they got all of them. It just depends on where you want to, where you're picking up your feeds from. Wait, exactly. Here's a quick story too. Um, my afternoon class has had the opportunity to um, kind of do a little podcast workshop with um, a woman, Samantha Max, who um, works at the Macon Telegraph, um, recently out of college, uh, works for a program called Report for America. And the podcast that we're doing kind of resembles or her experiences with a podcast called Out of the Blocks, which is from Baltimore. Aaron Henkin is a producer. And um, we actually, uh, our last uh, meeting last Friday, we had Aaron join us via um, Zoom cool. video conference and spend an hour just interacting, seeing, talking to the kids. I mean, stuff like that's amazing. That you can use technology for that. It really is. I mean, this, this technology is just amazing to me. I, I always wanted a radio show. And it's funny. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought that would be a blast and I would record. And I was listening to somebody the other day who was talking about it. It's, li it's literally like my story. I, uh, I would take my little tape recorder and record radio songs. Mm. And uh, I never recorded my voice like a radio, the disc jockey, but I recorded those sounds like that. And I just thought it'd be cool to have a 
radio show. And now I can, you know, with minimal yeah. type of payment and minimal types of uh, equipment, I got my show, and which is cool. Yeah. So, hey, I, I want to make sure that uh, as we're, we're coming to a close here, and, and by the way, when I'm talking technology, I got to ask, so do you like either Star Trek or Star Wars? We, I was always a huge fan of the original Star Trek. Yeah, and, okay. um, and I remember even when the bookmobile would come to my elementary school, I would get these Star Trek books and stuff like that. Cool. And um, yeah, I love that. Star Wars, I, I don't know. Star Wars, I don't, I, it'd be hard to kind of get into. I mean, I've enjoyed it and appreciate what it is, but I was never really a big Star Wars person. I got you. I, I'm a fan of both, but I'm really a fan of the original Star oh, Trek series. Absolutely. That's a, and there's, there's nothing better than uh, the, the banter that would take place between somewhere between uh, Bones and Spock and, uh, and somewhere, uh, and then, Insert Scotty. You oh, know. Scotty, and the um, what was that stuff that, that you needed for the for the um, you know, to transport people and stuff? It was like some sort of crystals, but it was called the lithium crystals. The lithium crystals. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> we sit here all day talking about our you favorite right. episodes. You know, you got that right. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. I, <laughs> I can't give her any more. Anyway, okay, okay, terrible. Don't. That was not me talking. Anyway, um, so here we go. We're gonna bring it to a close. I got uh, two questions I'd like to ask you. Um, first one goes like this. If you had a chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers who are getting ready to start their first day of teaching, what advice would you give them? You know, um, really take hold with enthusiasm of, of what you're, what you're going into right now to really, really be able to look at it is that you're making a difference that you're working with, or, you know, trying to develop some of the, the best in, in the students. It's so easy to get caught up on all the paperwork and, all that I have to do this, I have to do that. And, you know, there's certain things you, you just got to do. But it, it's, if you could look at it really as an honor, which it really is, to be able to be with with children, with students, to make a difference. And, um, and try not to lose sight of that because there are going to be days when, you know, you might. But, you know, every day is an opportunity to, um, to bring something special, meaningful to, to a child. That's excellent. That's awesome. That's very powerful. Thank you. Sure. So last question goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who would it be? And what would you say if you got a chance to say thank you? Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. Um, and I'm not one that has one teacher that really pops out. But I think of a couple of teachers and why I, I think of them. I think of um, uh, Mrs. Bradshaw, who is my journalism teacher. Um, in high school, and um, you know, I think of Mr. Dingle, who really got me into distance running. I was cut from the baseball team, kind of hurt, but you know, it was a small little thing. And I went in there, and he picked me up and threw me, and said I was going to be a runner, a distance runner, and stuff. Um, and I did. I stuck with it. I, I, you know, I, I ran distance. I ran a marathon. You know, I mentioned Miss Bradshaw. She's like, okay, you're going to be the news editor, photo editor of the newspaper. I believe in you. Um, I went to a summer camp. It's just just that little thing that I believe in you. You know, you, you could do this. In college, I had some professors like that, um, Dr. Lee, Dr. Sherman, who, who again, you know, you felt like that you were a person. They believed in you, and you, and you can make things happen. So um, I would say them, and, and I would hope that me being a teacher that I could – you know, add something to some students that could say, like, you know, I, I learned this, or I feel like I could do this, and, and, and he's, Mr. Finkelstein, maybe wasn't, didn't give this to me, but he allowed me to see an opening to go for it. Awesome. That is cool. Well, Joe, I greatly appreciate you talking with me today. It's awesome what you do. you got such an incredible history, which is really neat. And <laughs> I, I love all the things that have brought you, you know, that make you up, that make up you as a teacher and everything from the stand-up comedy to the different types of positions and jobs that you had. And uh, here you are working with technology and working with students and uh, making a difference. And I greatly appreciate you joining me today and uh, keep on making that difference. Oh, I appreciate it. And uh, as I've told you before, you know, um, I was introduced to your podcast by, um, by you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I've enjoyed it. You know, I've listened to it while I was doing the treadmill and made the time go kind of kind of quick. Uh, well, cool. Some 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 cool things. So I'm glad you didn't ask me what my favorite non-technology tool was. I know during Christmas, I think you had your whole list of things that you could buy your teachers and stuff. And um, 
I still like some technology, but uh, but that was good stuff too. Make thanks, your own light it. boards and all kinds of cool stuff. So. Cool, thanks. Hey, uh, so uh, so should I ask you that question before we go? Oh gosh, because I, I would probably make um, a joke up about it. Um, you know, non-technology tools that I use. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it's just a pad and paper. Nice. You know, to kind of take notes and stuff. Well, we'll how about we'll save that for the next time we talk because we're going to yeah. have to have a next time that we talk. This has been awesome. And uh, I thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.